Hey, this is Cameron Dye, and you are listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Wheezy, John. So you're in the studio. You can see me. I've got right now. I've got like this headphone on my on my head. You do. But normally, like my hair is kind of you know my hair is my thing. My uh, I'm very I'm very my hair is kind of a signature for me. Okay. And I haven't changed my hairdo in about thirty years, maybe more. But anyway, so I'm very attached to this part of me because I think it represents me. I think people associate it with me. You know, it's kind of become a that with my feathers, especially my feathers in my hair, which I started because my hairdresser, who is Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. You know, when I was coming out to LA um, a dozen years ago, I had a guy in New York that I went to for years and I was really traumatized that I was moving to Los Angeles and I was going to have to find a new hairdresser and I was pretty freaked out about it because I don't, yeah, it's, that's... Your hair is it, your thing. Yeah, anything yeah. else, you know, I'll go to, yeah, but no, and actually that's not true. I'm loyal to, like, the same doctor, the same, anyway, so my friend Kathleen Wilhoyt, Fabulous actress, fabulous singer. You, Kathleen's fabulous. Yeah. She suggested that I go to Cindy. I loved her hair, and I I was scared. And it was before we moved out here, like six months before, so I could find somebody before. Right? I was like looking for a house and looking for a hairdresser. Those okay. were the two important okay. things. Yeah. So, and the schools. It was all about the schools. Well, anyway, so I go to Cindy, and she does my hair the first time, and it's magic. And so now it's 12 years later. Nobody touches my hair but Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. She is phenomenal. She does my highlights because I'm not a natural salt and pepper. No, I, somebody said I had salt and pepper. I don't have gray in my hair. No, it's blonde and whatever other color that is. And there's a lot of that. And it's kind of very stripey and, and kind of not natural looking, which I love. And it's very choppy and, and kind of... It's an event. It's an event. The hair is an event. And Cindy is brilliant every time. And, you know, like I, I look back at pictures and I see that, you know, it's changed minimally, you know, through like, and, you know, each time when I do it, I'm like, oh, I liked it better last time until like two weeks later and then I love it. Anyway, I can't recommend her highly enough. I love, love, love her. So if you are looking for somebody that you can trust, depend on, who's fantastic and who's so much fun, I she's become one of my best friends, go to Cindy Wright at Coif in Studio City. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. Hey, Vicki. So we have Lindsay back for a, a final week before Thank she God. leaves us. But she's working the board tonight. Louise has a break. She and, is. And... Um, <laughs> What, Wheeze? 
I'm very excited to see her working the board, and I'm watching for all her secrets so that she can leave little nuggets of wisdom behind for me, too. Oh, there, there you go. So so we're excited to have her, but we're sad that it's her last show. So um, No, could someone please hire Lindsay in Los Angeles so that we could have her here? Me. Yeah. And She's well, going to go back to New Hampshire. I plan on hiring her because we're going to be on syndicated radio. That's because, And you know why I know that with a certainty? I can say that with a certainty because I am now working with a life coach. Okay, I am no longer rolling my eyes in the back of my head when I say those words, which uh, they usually cause me to do because I have a legitimate, fantastic human being, Jeremy Stevens, who's amazing. And I made a commitment after my second session with him on Thursday, which was kind of, you know, he, I, I was doing it with him while he was learning how to do it. So I was kind of a guinea pig, but now he's actually, he unlocked things. He got some, he got me to do something that I've been blocked on for six months and he just asked the right question, said the right thing, and the next day I sat down and did it. And that's the kind of shit that life coaches do. That's why they are in business. That's why there are nine gazillions of them. I still think it's kind of silly. I can't really say the words without kind of going like that. But um, yes, yeah, so one of the things I am saying with certainty is going to happen is that we are going to be on syndicated radio. That's just, it's an inevitability. And blah, I can't say that word, but but Lindsay will be coming back. We need a speech working. coach. She will. <laughs> she will. <laughs> Okay, that's another thing I have to pay for. <laughs> Damn it! Um, but Lindsay will be our, I just learned the words for this, the name for this. She will be our sound op. Board, Board op. op. Bo- oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got it wrong again. Oh, fuck it. All right. Well, anyway, so so as you guys know, as I've been bitching about forever, so I had this nose surgery from my car accident. And the hump and the bumper's still here. And, you know, they did that. And I was photographing weird. My eyes were all weird. I'm happy to report that yesterday's pictures from women who write, my eyes don't look like two different freakish things. They look like they belong to the same person, which is very encouraging. Progress. My nose is still bugging me, and um, it's still very swollen, and I've decided that the swelling has uh, gone all the way down to my ass. That's the excuse (laughs) I'm using for the shape of my ass now. But so, so speaking of that, you know, I I started on, on Friday doing the cleanse again, which I know you love, Louise. I know you love when I cleanse. I don't, and actually. I know you don't. <laughs> and, and I don't either, except it works for the short term. And I was just determined to, to do something. So I did it for one day. And then on Saturday, I went to my regular Saturday morning meeting. And um, we're looking at this woman that we see every week. And she, like, looks fantastic. And we're like, what's going What's different about her? And we go up to her after the meeting. It's like, what's going on? You look fantastic. And she said, oh, I've lost 60 pounds. What? How did you do it? She's on this Ducan diet, which is a French diet. I had never heard of it. And she starts describing it. Immediately, it sounds completely whack. So she... So it's perfect for you. So it's perfect (laughs) for me, right. So you eat nothing but protein the first uh, few days. I mean, nothing. Nothing but protein. Um with the exception of one and a half teaspoons of oat bran, do you, you make cereal. Do you know how much cereal, how much a bowl of how much you get when you use a tablespoon and a half of oat bran? My cereal literally was smaller than the palm of my hand. It was half the size of the palm of my hand, but it tasted so good. I was so happy to have it. Anyway, 
So it's pure protein, but it's not like that old diet where you used to, where I used to eat pork rinds and bacon and Atkins. all that. Yeah, it's not uh. Atkins. Not like that because you have to eat lean protein, only lean protein. So you do that for a few days, and then you add vegetables, only vegetables. You never have fruit. There is no sugar. There are no carbs. But you can eat all the protein and all the vegetables you want, but you only get the vegetables every other day. But where is the diet that teaches you how to okay, eat? Okay, all right, all right. The thing about this is, though, that after you lose the weight you want to lose, then you put in all the other things, and then you just do it one day a week to maintain. So then you get, and you get to slowly add the carbs and the all that stuff back in. But for me, I know when I stop doing something, I stop craving it. Okay, so if I stop um, eating snack foods, I will eventually, like in the year 2030, stop craving them. But no, it's true. You know, if I stop eating <laughs> sugar, I, st- I stop crave. I don't crave it. If I, anything that I cut out, including people, eventually I stop craving <laughs> them. <laughs> so, uh. so, so I'm on day. De- so anyway, so I was doing the, 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 the cleanse for Friday and then at the morning of Saturday. Saturday afternoon, I decide I'm starting this diet and I switch over and I lose a pound the first day. I gain the fucking pound back the next day. All right, so I've lost three pounds since I started all of this craziness and today is just a protein day. So I went to Zanku Chicken. I was craving meat though and I'm allowed to have lean meat. So I went to Zanku Chicken and I got shish kebab with nothing. I had to tell her, I don't want the rice. I don't want, and it was, I kind of felt like Jack Nicholson in the in the Five Easy Pieces where she, he says, hold, I wanted, he just wanted chicken and she said, we don't have chicken. So he said, but you have chicken salad. And he said, Take the chicken, hold the mayo, hold the bread, ba 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 ba. And she says, "Where should I put the chicken?" And he said, "Between your legs." I guess he didn't want the chicken; he just wanted something else. I don't know, but anyway. So I just had the sh- the kebab, and uh, whenever I say the word kebab, I think of Liam Neeson in Love Actually when he says, "We're having kebab." I don't know, or maybe it's Hugh Grant in that movie who calls them kebabs. It's very cute. Anyway, I had a kebab, and um, there was a point to this. So. Oh, so it's 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 not healthy, but it's healthier than just having sugar water, right? That that cleanse stuff that just has maple syrup in it. It's better than that. Okay. Right? So at least I'm feeding my brain with some protein and stuff. So anyway, so I'm doing that and what I'm doing across the board since I've been talking to Jeremy, my life coach, I am smiling and laughing inside, but I love him. Um, he's got me thinking about sort of everything in a new way. And so I'm going back. So here, I'll I'll tell you about this breakthrough I had. So I was trying to write a treatment for my book, Don't Jump. And uh, because my manager, Mark Parisa, really believes it should be episodic television. So I couldn't just do an across the board treatment that I would do for a screenplay, which I had already kind of done for publishers back in the day, which took me a year. And I was, I was so blocked on that. So in this one, Mark challenged, tasked me to do this like six months ago. And I, I like keep, I'm going to, or four months, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I just, I would sit down and I would, I just wasn't getting anywhere. So I was telling Jeremy about it. And I said, I don't know why I'm blocked. I've written treatments before. I have even optioned a show from a treatment that I've written. I know how to do this. I don't know why I'm stuck. And he said, what if you think of it as a letter you're going to write to a friend? Why don't you... He said, do you think Don't Jump is worthy as episodic television? Yes, I do. Do you think it deserves to be on television? Yes, I do. Do you think it would make a great episodic 
Louise is choking her. You you can choke it. Poor Louise, and she's trying to muffle her coughing, and she's like having an attack. She needs to cough. She's getting over a cold. Hmm. Okay, so Lindsay, I'm talking to you. Louise yeah. is going to go outside and, and hack in the other room. <laughs> so, so anyway, so he he said, "What if you write your ideas about what it would look like as a television show, just as mm-hmm. a letter to a friend, and just put them down?" Yeah. And I was like, "That's fucking genius. I can do that." And as a matter of fact, when I read Stephen King's on writing. I made him my ideal reader. He says you should have an ideal reader. And I, so I've made Stephen King, unbeknownst to him, my ideal reader. There and I decided go. I was going to write this to Stephen King. And I sat down and in an hour and 45 minutes, I wrote what I haven't been able to write for six months. That's amazing. Boom, out it came. And I didn't, and not only boom, out it came, stream of consciousness. I didn't go back and revise. I didn't rewrite. I didn't edit myself. I just wrote it. And as soon as I wrote it, I sent it off to my manager. I sent it off to my life coach. I have to laugh when I say those words. And it was done. And now, of course, that's just a beginning. And now it has to be crafted from a letter to a treatment. But I've got, I've got the basis of what I need now. I know, And I realized what was blocking me. When I have something that I've created in one fat in one medium, I have a really hard time adapting it to something else. I'm much better with a blank page or starting from scratch. But when I'm taking something that already exists and trying to fashion it into something else, I do, so do I copy and paste a few of those lines? Do I take a few of those ideas? Do I, which ones do I scratch? Which ones do I keep? And that's what was making me crazy. And so when I was able to get away from all of that and just think of it in new terms, and it's kind of what Jeremy is teaching me to do in life, it's write a new story. Mm. And it's what I'm, it's, I've gone through all of that to say to you, gentle listeners, not that you're <laughs> gentle, I hope you're, no. Um, but but I, I just wanted to share with you this, this new tool that I have, which is f- number one, to try and, not to try, Jeremy's also got me stop. I had stopped saying try and hope a long time ago. I, I'm loving hope now. Every morning I get up and the first thing I say is, I am hopeful, I am happy, and I am grateful. And I say that like a mantra during the day when I need it. And on the days, the two days when I forgot to say it when I woke up, my days were shit. I struggled. But when I say that, it kind of kicks my day off in a good fashion. And then when I need it in the middle of the day, if I get stuck, I can say it again. I'm hopeful, I'm happy, and I'm grateful. And it reminds me, I am those things. Yeah, hell, yeah, okay, I can do this. So anyway, so the other tool is to write the new story and to not say try because try is a, sort of an acceptance of failure if it doesn't work, but to say, I am changing the way I speak of myself. Nobody is more abusive to me than me. Nobody has ever in my life, not even, I won't say it, has ever said the mean things to me about me that I have said about and to myself. So. I'm my own, that expression, I'm my own worst enemy. Hell yeah, these cliches come because they are truth. So I'm done with that. I'm done. I am, I am catching myself quicker. It doesn't mean, it, now, I'm not doing it perfectly and I'm making mistakes and I'm, I'm misstepping, but I'm catching myself and I'm catching myself quicker each day. And so yesterday at Women Who Write, you know, in front of the room, I'm, you know, calling myself fat, I'm making fun of my ass and I'm like, but I'm telling them about this at the same time. They don't go together. 
So there's so at, at the end of all of that, I said, okay, so all of us, let's say, you know, I am beautiful, you know, gosh darn it, I like me, that kind of shit. But it, but that's really what it is. It's it's really about embracing everything positive and not giving voice to the negative. It works. You can become senator. <laughs> yeah. Well, it. If they did a background check on me, Weezy, nobody's electing me to any... My language alone, I still offend half the, the globe. So the, who knows me? So I, I, I think my language alone would preclude me from, let alone how many times I inhaled. But um, yeah. Um, but what it, it's not going to make me a senator. But I, but I th So what's already happened is my point... I have a point after all of that mm -hmm. is that my life has already started to shift. I People love the story. I have gone on, I went on three dates in one week. Ooh. I hadn't been on a date and With I can't tell you person? how. No. No. All three different people? All three different people. Do we have a winner? <laughs> I don't want a winner just yet. Okay. I'm going out with um, with is, two more guys. Is someone in the lead? Yet. And I am going to go on a second date with, with a, a two of them. And um, and I'm meeting some new guys. And so that part of my life has opened up. When I got mad, I got not mad, but I got upset when my first session with my life coach ended up being about love when I wanted it to be about money. But it ended up leading me to people who are career kind of people that could be instrumental and partnering on different things. Um, my music reality show might have another life from another guy I went on a date with. It, it, it just might end up working out that way. So it's just about opening my mind because what I do is as soon as someone makes a suggestion to me, my default is to tell them why it's not going to work, to find the flaw because that's how I was raised. And so mm. you say to me, um, why don't you try that? And I'll tell you why I can't try it. So I'm not I'm not doing that anymore. Well, I am doing it, but then I catch myself, and then I stop, and then I think, and then I open, and then I become willing. So it's about being willing, being open, and so much has already shifted in the last week, week and a half, two weeks, however long it's been. Um, and the main thing that shifted is my mood. Hmm. You know, just re sincerely being more hopeful. I can now see the light that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not Carol Ann, Carol Ann. It's not that light. It's, it's, it's the, the ray of hope, you know, that, re, that, that light that says, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I see it and I'm on the road. I'm on the path. It's there. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen along the way and things will change, but I'm going to get there. So, Lindsay, mark my words. We are going to be on syndicated radio. That's just a given. Bring it on. There you go. So that was a very long-winded opening that I didn't even include you, it, you guys in. I'm sorry. I talked incessantly. Well, um, you listened. But, you know, that's the purpose of this show. You know, The Road Taken you know, was my idea to share with everyone out there people's tools, successful people's tools for how through talking with them about their lives and their experiences to kind of suss from that, which is what we do in our, in our out, what we call our outro after they leave each week. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't have some tools to share as well as we gather them. So um, this is a little, a little chisel from my toolbox. <laughs> My latest chisel. Um, I have hammers. I have screwdrivers. I have all kinds of things in my toolbox that um, hopefully um, I share 
Um, so anyway, so I, I'm excited about that because I think if we all think in terms of changing our story, being kind to each to ourselves. If, you, if I would only treat myself the way I treat you, it would be a much better, I'd be a much better, happier person. So the, the other thing that I've been doing since this is I've been sleeping. I sleep have is been good. sleeping. I didn't sleep for like a million years. And now three or four hours is not enough. I stay, I sleep. I, I mean, it's not steady sleep, but I'm in bed for mm -hmm. like eight hours. I okay. like do it. I make myself do it. Okay. So that's a good step. Yeah. It makes everything better. It does. You know, sleep is important. The brain needs to rest. I, I was challenging my brain all the time by not giving it rest. So I think these little things we can do. Oh, and we were discussing before that you, Louise had a great point about this. I was saying that I now have a structure to, I'm giving structure to my day. So every day when I wake up, I have this little bit of oat bread cereal, which now I'm up to two tablespoons. Oh my God. I, I like, it takes me like an hour to eat it. I like savor every bit. And um, and then to do my morning pages and, and not do them at three in the morning, although I still get caught sometimes, like last night, but trying to do, not trying, my goal is to do morning pages and then get out and do my speed walk right away rather than waiting till later. And so in structure, I find the most freedom. I feel the freest. And Louise, what was the analogy you made? I said there's freedom within boundaries. And explain how you, the analogy you made for that. Well, so it starts with children and sort of they need to have consistency and they need to know the consequences of their behaviors and their actions and then they're, they're he happier or healthier. So the same model applies for, for all of us. So mm -hmm. if you're, for example, rollerblading and you're wearing elbow pads and wrist pads and a helmet, you're going to try a lot more tricks. Absolutely. Because you know that you're protected. There's boundaries on your body mm -hmm. that will prevent you from falling and hurting yourself. So you're free to really learn. I love that. And it's true. It, it, if I, I, it's, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make another example, but I'm, 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 I'm not really coming up with one, but it, it's absolutely the truth. When I feel safest, I take the most chances. Um, when I'm with somebody who makes me feel safe, then I'm more apt to be experimental. Let's say, oh, mm -hmm. that's, that was very provocative. No, that's a great word. Though. <laughs> that's a great word because, I, because you, then you can innovate. Yeah. 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 When you feel safe, then you're not, a, when I feel safe, I'm not afraid to say something that might sound crazy because I know the person isn't going to think I'm crazy. They're going to, if it's a bad idea, they'll just say, uh, they're not going to make me feel stupid, which some people can do. And the other thing that's been happening too, is that I'm revisiting relationships. Like I tend to be the kind of person that I, I'm very, very loyal. And I have people in my life that have been in my life all of my life and that I hope will be with me forever. There are certain other people that I've been learning to let go of because they really haven't been good for me and they haven't served me. And usually when I let go, there's a certain, I wouldn't say the door is closed, but I kind of don't, I try not, hmm, I attempt to not look back and um, to just keep moving forward. And what I'm also learning in this new thinking and writing a new story is that sometimes someone who didn't serve a year ago, a decade ago, a week ago, now might be now might have a new place and a new way as long as I'm not in the same place with the same attachment. So I'm actually inviting somebody that I had 
kind of pushed out of my life back in because at this particular point in time we might be able to be really productive together and it, it kind of swings around to friendships um there are friendships that I've let go, that I've let slip. You know, if, if you do, if I'm the person that does all the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. I'm the one that's always the one who calls, always texts, you know, and I have certain friends, I mean, that have been my friends for a gazillion years that literally almost never initiate the call or the ever. It's always been me. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, well, that's okay because. That's just the nature of our relationship. There's another part of me that, that feels, I, so I've tested it on these people, on, on almost all of them. And in, in a few instances, it's, it's gone weeks before I'll hear from them, before they notice that I have, they haven't heard from me. So or, then the question is, yeah? when you do reach out, are, are you seeking just their voice, their time, and their, um, their companionship? Uh, their companionship, or are you asking for a thing? No, these are these are f- friendships. So we we give and take in conversation. I say what's up with me. They say what's up with them. Um, we are sort of um, spiritual, spiritually connected, and have deep conversations as well as the superficial stuff. But no, just just friendships. So if it's just companionship, then you do have to ask yourself why aren't they initiating it as often as you are? Well, I think some people are not good initiators. I think some people really struggle with that, and I don't think it's personal. I have learned that nothing is personal in this life. And and where they might be able to do it with certain people, I think some people, even people who are really close to me and have known me for years, can be intimidated by me. Um, I can be an intimidating person because I have I'm so opinionated and I am so passionate and and I think sometimes I scare people a little bit even the, the people who love me so there could be a little of that in there um, I can't speak for them what it is but I know that I have tested and and stepped away and so a couple of my friends have really risen to the occasion and lately are really making an effort to reach out. And they don't necessarily initiate, but making an effort to do so more than before. But there's one person that um, just has disappeared from my life. And in that case, I have to say, you know what? That person's not meant to be in my life right now. doesn't mean it's forever, Mm -hmm. but... If somebody's not going to reach out at all, you know, if if they're going to just let it fall away, then I'm going to let it fall away. I'm going to let it fall away. Um, so just learning a lo- just learning a lot of life's lessons. I don't know if it's because it's springtime and it's like renewal and rebirth. Yeah, things are cyclical. Yes, they are. And you just have to be open. So so is any of that stuff going on for you guys? Moving home. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's like the new thing. I don't know. <laughs> well, you're well. You're going to be restarting your life in, yep. in a different way mm-hmm. and, and graduating. So gra- yeah. 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 Lindsay just took her last. Did her last? I did my last class of my senior year of college today. Are you going to walk? Uh, well, Ithaca, we they call the school and we stand up and sit back down. <laughs> you don't walk so, across. The you stage? don't walk at no. all. Do you throw your caps? I hope so. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. that's a waste of four hours. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy because Harry, my son, um, he was in a he went to CSUN and had a very large graduating class, and it took I gotta say like six friggin' hours. But yeah. he did walk. He did get to yeah. walk, and uh, they mispronounced his name. Yeah, and uh, there was there was that. But we have the video. It's very funny. 
and um, and they purposely make you phonetically write out your name so they won't screw it up. Right. And then they mispronounce it anyway. So my name is Abelson, and they said Abelson. So what are you going to do? But um, but he did get to walk. The but, best yeah. show at any graduation. Now that every parent is armed with video and photographic equipment in the form of their cell phone, the best show is the parents. <laughs> the parents are hilarious. I mean, so don't focus on the kids on the stage or the speeches. Focus on the parents. They are the show. I'm just going to turn my chair around and stare at my parents the yeah, whole time and see go. what they do. There you go. All well, of my grandparents are going to be there too, so we'll see what happens. Oh. <laughs> Uh, mazel tov. All right, and how about you, Weezy? Is, is there anything new going on with you? Are you having a, sp- a, a spring spiritual rebirth here this spring? Yeah, I'm just kind of doing a lot of like uh, getting a new television, getting new drapes, getting new frames for my glasses, nice. just all that stuff that you, I don't know, there's something about spring that makes you get errands done and mm-hmm. makes you or inspires you to just kind of like change the things that have been needing and and uh, sort of prompting you to pay attention and make a change. So it's it's all little things, but uh, and I'm also I'm making a movie about the women's march on DC. That is so exciting. I'm so thrilled about that. I can't wait to see it. I saw a little bit of your, the video clips that you posted, but um, that's such that's so important and so wonderful. Um, that's that's very inspiring. Excellent. I can't wait to see it. Yes, so I'm excited about that. And you know, I think the thing with spring too, I just realized, you know, the days are longer. We have more we have more light. And I get more done when there's it's easier to get things done when there's light. You know, not waking up in darkness, not, you know, having the the it's it's almost like 7 it's after 7:30 when it gets dark now. So it is an opportunity to get more done. And also because it's it the sun is out more and it's it's warmer weather, it's I'm more inclined to go outside and run and do those errands that not we're in SoCal. It's not like we have it so hard in January, but I don't know. There, there's just a different mindset. And uh, speaking of a different mindset, um, that is absolutely no segue at all, and has absolutely nothing to do with tonight's guest. You know what I promised myself when what? I when I worked for PM Magazine, where my job was to actually sort of segue. Oh yeah. When I was writing the wraparounds for the host and hostess, right. I promised myself I would never use the words and speaking of. <laughs> So I just did. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to Correct inspire me. you to okay. find another way to get there. Okay. So if I'm going to find another way to get there, I'm going to say, so you guys, you weren't at Women Who Write yesterday. I was not. But we had one hot, I don't know what to call them. Tamale is very dated. <laughs> Potato is very dated. One hot do. Dude, no, I don't like dude. We had one hot drink man. of handsome. We had a tall. <laughs> he's not a tall drink of water. He's a medium drink of water. He is such a drink of water, though. Um, and uh, you didn't get to see him yesterday, but you're going to get to see him today. So tonight's guest, Cameron Dye, he's quite something. So he went to UCLA with Tim Robbins back in the day. And this friendship that formed, that forged back then, got them to form the Actors Gang, which is um, a theater company here in Los Angeles, which is extraordinary. In fact, Tim has a show up right now, Harlequino, I think it's called, that he wrote and directed, um, which is uh, running at the at this present time. I don't know if it'll be when this airs. Hopefully, still. But they've done many, many shows together. And in fact, Cameron had to back out of Women Who Write last month when he was supposed to do it because he was going to prison. (laughs) 
When so, Whoops. Yeah, he was, well, yeah. But he was going with Tim Robbins and they were going with the actors gang to perform because they do good deeds. They are good deed doers. Wow, cool. You know, we know how politically active Tim Robbins is. We do. As is Cameron. And uh, they. I'm sure he'll be very interested in your um, in your documentary that you're making. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's somebody who's been at the at the front lines with that stuff. But at the t- back in the day, he was a movie star. So um, he was in um, uh, Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage. Fantastic. Excellent. He was in National Lampoon's Joy of Sex. Um, he appeared on Frasier, on MASH, on Quantum Leap, and he had a recurring role on Smallville. He... Also now, um, and, and I guess for many years, has had a band called the Match Fingers, and they're a regular fixture in, on the Hollywood music scene. And his original songs have appeared in um, the apocal- in the films The Apocalypse and Scenes from the Gold Mine, which he also starred in. Um, he's, I guess, what I and he's still he, he's still doing a lot of theater. In fact. Right before he came yesterday, he said to me, um, by the way, I'm not looking my best because I'm kind of in between roles. I'm prepping for a role. And when he showed up, he was a little disheveled, had facial hair and stuff. Gorgeous. Facial hair, no facial hair. Disheveled, no disheveled. Gorgeous. But but yes, he's he's he is a prominent stage actor, which there aren't that many of, who's managed to do it throughout his entire career. And I have so much respect for that. So I'm going to sneeze now. So now... I Ready? can't go. Excuse me. That was Vicky sneezing. <coughs> okay. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Bless, Bless you. Quadruplicate. <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm, I'm having a really weird Make allergy thing. <laughs> Ever since they did my nose, I've had this. I never have allergies, but I've had these weird sort of allergy things happening. But anyway, um, I'm I'm really excited for you guys to meet him and to chat with him because he's not only handsome, but he's charming and delightful. So... Wheezy and Lindsay, please help me welcome Cameron Dye. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Vicky. Welcome to The Road Taken. Why, thank you. And I haven't seen you in at least 24 hours. Uh, yeah, it's been even, well, it's a little more, yeah. yeah. It's a little that more. That was such a great time yesterday. I mean, so, yeah, so I, I was saying that um, we lost you the first time because you were in prison. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but so, so, so we're going to go back at the beginning of your life, but so tell, tell us a little bit about what that's about, what you do with prisoners. The prison project. The prison project. project I call it. Uh, it's, it's the actor's gang. And yeah, I do that all the time. I just tell my friends, "Look, I'm going to prison, so I won't see you." And, um, do you have you said that to your mother? Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good. Uh, so uh, the prison project started. Uh, all right, wait, wait. Before you tell us the prison project, I'm feeling like you have to tell us about the actors gang first, so okay. we know. Okay. Yeah. To get into that, uh, the actors gang started at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty much Tim's. Tim's project. And Tim would be? Tim Robbins. Yes. Sorry about that. That's okay. I mentioned Just him before. Drop that name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Tim Tim and I went to school at the same time at UCLA. We mm-hmm. were friends there. Uh, and UCLA at the time, the theater department was kind of coasting on a reputation that it had had maybe seven years prior. So what, what time frame are we talking this about? This is, I was there 77 to 80, the end of 81. Okay. Um, and... So I always tell people, you know, at least 50% of what I learned at UCLA in the theater department was from my peers, because mm. we had a strong group of peers. We had Tim, we had uh, 
Ed Solomon, Shane Black, who turned out to mm -hmm. be great writers. Mm -hmm. um, so we had great writers, directors, great actors. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a good crop of people. So we would oftentimes, you know, put, our, put together our own things. Mm -hmm. And Tim at this time, Tim came in junior year. Uh, he transferred out from New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, <coughs> and you know, we immediately hit it off because we both loved music. We loved mm -hmm. Clash. We loved, you know, rock mm -hmm. and roll. And we both smoked, so that was a bond. Mm -hmm. and, and we, did, it's funny, I just did it. There's a, there's a documentary being made on the gang now, so I just kind of did this a little bit. and. And I said, yeah, we we talked about girls a lot, but then I had a girlfriend at the time, so we talked about Tim's girls. So. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so Tim uh, even then was writing and, and started to write pieces that were uh, socially provocative or political. I was going to say, were nature. you guys political back in those well, days? Well, yeah, mm -hmm. he started writing those pieces, uh, and we would do them mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, as a, as a one act uh, as, as part of the curriculum there. Mm -hmm. But then you could do your own thing, um, too. And so uh, I think the, the first official Actors Gang project was uh, Ubu, the King. Um, and that was done as a, as a one act. And it was just so outrageous. And, and you know, there was, the original Actors Gang was just all about sweat and spit. And, and you know, it was just like a punk rock energy. Okay, so now wait. You did this, you were still in, at UCLA when you started the company. Yeah. So this, well, this was really the origin of it, uh, was okay. this particular play. And then oh, that play was taken outside of UCLA. Mm -hmm. uh, it was made into a midnight production, mm -hmm. um, what, what then was called the Pilot Theater. Uh, I was not part of this. I mean, I was a peripheral part of mm -hmm. that, as I often am with the gang. I mean, sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm out. I think that's how I've survived it for the whole 33 years. Wow. It's been around. Um, but it was a midnight production where, you know, you're encouraged to bring a six pack and, and <laughs> you know, certainly throw cans at the stage if you want. It was, it's, it's, it's always, oh, thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. It's always been... Um, the gang's always been very much ab about audience participation and and the audience being a part of the uh, the pro whatever's going on on stage. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, like I say, you know, initially the theater of sweat. It's been called um, uh, very testosterone charged. There weren't, you know, you you had to be really tough if you were a woman uh, at the beginning. It's mm -hmm. all changed now. It's mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of cut to now. It's become a lot more sophisticated. Um, <laughs> There is, I will say this, in 1984, um, so the beginnings were 82, 81, mm -hmm. 82. In 1984, uh, a man named George Bigot, who was uh, um, at the time, I think, the artistic director of Théâtre du Soleil mm -hmm. in Paris, uh, was running a workshop. It was around the time of the Olympics. The 84 mm -hmm. Olympics were in town. And uh, Tim took the workshop and just embraced this style of commedia dell'arte that he was which he's doing a play uh, of that style right yeah, now right and I'll, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. we'll cut to that uh harlequino uh the road to freedom mm -hmm. is tim's project that he's been writing for a couple of years now and it's uh it's been performing you know now at this point we're, we're skipping ahead to now but uh the actors gang has grown in um in its reach uh, where we're performing all over the world now. Oh, wow, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it started with, I believe, 1984 was the first uh, 
the, the George Orwell's 1984, the production that we had of that. Oh, see, I was getting all confused. I was in the year now, so. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Everybody thinks, oh, we dodged that, <laughs> but uh, you should read the epilogue. It's scary. <laughs> I yeah. don't want... It, yeah, reading it again now would be yeah. really scary, well, I'm sure. Well, the epilogue, and we actually mm. included this in one production of, of the the play that, um, you know, it states, well, no, this wouldn't come to pass. It, you know, this, of mm. course, this wouldn't happen, blah, mm. blah, blah. It wouldn't come to pass for another 50 years. Mm. So everybody <laughs> who says, you know, oh, we dodged that bullet. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so 1984, I think, was the first play that we, that, that kind of, started to put the gang on the map out there in now the world. to get out on the map did tim already have a movie career or is this pre oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. so he's no, already a star and yeah. you're kind of you're also well yeah i mean so i'll keep going back and forth with this mm -hmm. i i uh all right so you know what i'm stopping you right now because we we have to get chronological because it's going to get too confusing okay so I, let's I, let's I go all the way back we could do like a documentary and we, kind of like go back here and come here and, and, and <laughs> we can go back and forth in time except it's already confusing to me i can't yeah. even imagine what it's yeah. like to everybody out there so so let's 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 sort of move in in, in more of in, an order just yeah just because it'll be it, it'll be an easier flow for people to to grab onto okay. so and for us to follow our own train of thought. Sure. Okay, so you're little Cameron Dye. Where you grow up? Where Where are you? Little. <laughs> you were you're little. I would say like little Stevie Wonder. Yeah, or like that. Um, I I was born in New Orleans. Uh, wow. Yeah, my dad was a sale a salesman, mm -hmm. um, and um, so he he had grown up as a as an army brat. Mm -hmm. uh, so he grew up moving all over the place. So he took a job that kind of did the same thing mm -hmm. and fulfilled the same thing. Right. So I grew up doing the same moving different places we went from uh new orleans to toledo ohio uh, excuse me <laughs> on to uh, uh minneapolis town called white bear lake outside minneapolis on to memphis uh from there to darien connecticut so you're moving a lot yeah. as a little kid and mm -hmm. that's causing you to have anxiety or social skills what, what, what's what's it doing there well yeah i didn't know anything else so mm -hmm. you know i i I say this about myself sometimes that I'm a, a master adapter and mm -hmm. that's a great thing. And it's, you know, it has its, its downside too, because you know, you can adapt to anything, but not everybody can. I mean, there, there are army brats and kids who move around that really struggle and have a lot of social anxiety because they weren't able to make friends. And by the time they did, they're moving on again. Yeah. Um, the, you know, one of the repercussions of moving a lot, I think I had a shrink say this to me at some point, that, that you, you, uh, you lack a sense of permanence sometimes. Mm -hmm. You think, well, this is only temporary, so I'm not going to get too mm. tied in. Mm -hmm. Which it's funny, because that, that actually uh, feeds into the actor's gang for me, and I say how you know, I've survived being in that company for 33 years because I've always kind of been a little bit in and a little bit out and kind of, you know. And so you would, are you that way in life and other things as well? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, okay. especially group situations. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to get too close to this group of kids because I know there is something in the back of my mind that says, you know, we could go at any second and I don't want to have my heart ripped out when I do that. I'm getting deep already. Yeah, but, no, um, no, no. This th this is good. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 compelling. It's interesting. Yeah. No, th there's some truth to that. So I, I you know anytime we move somewhere, I, I I would always start out really shy, mm -hmm. and by the end of it, be you know kind of more extroverted. So like, how long are you spending in each place? About the the two records uh, for longest mm -hmm. were Memphis and Toledo. Memphis was um, first grade. 
We moved. We always moved at Christmas time. So it was all that Christmas break. So it was always weird to, you know, end a year somewhere and start a year somewhere else. Wow. Um, and we literally moved. So that was first grade. That because was, it's ending year and starting a year, but it's that's not how school works. School works that now, you're, you're coming you're, right in the middle. They've already started the school year, yeah. so you're clearly the new kid. Yeah. You know? Um, and you, you know, again, it's a double edge. You get all kinds of attention, but you get all kinds of attention yeah. that you don't. You know, so still for me. To this day, if, if I'm, you know, uh, the center of attention, not performing, <laughs> that's that's still, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a challenge for me sometimes. Um, but, yeah, so Memphis, we were there uh, 65, you know, through, we, we literally moved as it turned 1970. And that was really... Memphis was a that's a good chunk of time for yeah, you. Yeah, and that place mm -hmm. was very close for me. My mm -hmm. mom was from uh, Brownsville, Tennessee, which is up around Jackson. Mm -hmm. You know the song, um, and uh, so we would continue to go back there. But but I at the time, I mean, so much was going on, and I was very aware as a kid. Um, you know, the two fascinations I had as a kid were rock and roll and politics, mm -hmm. and. Um, Bobby Kennedy was a major hero to me. In mm -hmm. fact, I really wanted to be president. I mean, I really, I, wow. I you know, grasped, I went towards the Kennedys. I just, especially Bobby Kennedy, because I think in hindsight, he was, he had this kind of pop star mm -hmm. presence to mm -hmm. him, you know, and uh, those were all the guys that I would f emulate and kind of follow. But, but even at that age, I mean, I sensed there was something about this, this magnetism mm -hmm. that I, um, I realized. And then as I went on to know more about him then and later, you know, I, I still, uh, I think he would have been an amazing president. Um, so, so, more so, than his so brother, at what know. point did your, because I was very politically active as a kid, like mm -hmm. I marched on Washington when I was 12 or something, the yeah. 68 March and stuff. And, and um, so at what point, but I'm a little older than you, so you're really young when this is all going on. I'm not too far behind. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I was well. So I, I graduated in, college in '77, so I'm a few years ahead of you. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's when I got out of high school. So, 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 so you're really young. I mean, because I was only 12, 13 when this, when the marching was happening yeah. in Washington and all of that, yeah. and it, it extended. It, I remember it kind of ending for me around '72 was when everything turned apathetic. Oh, every everything, music, everything, every, every, yeah, yeah, everything turned apathetic. I was yeah, I would say the '60s, '60, any decade to me really begins mid-decade. '60s, I think of '65 to '74. Hmm. That's really that decade. Seventies, mm -hmm. um, same thing. Kind of '75 to '84 was that kind of aftermath of so now you're really young because 68 when uh when bobby kennedy i mean I, i'm only 13 12 and change yeah, so yeah. you're really a little kid i'm eight and and it, it it kind of took out the whole president thing for me i thought you know i mean there's maybe there's a different way to to reach people or to to connect. So what? Uh, what do you, what? What? What do you, do you remember? What sparked your interest? What? What got your attention to begin with? I oh man, it's funny. I'll I'll kind of go back and forth with the two things that mm -hmm. I mentioned: music and 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 politics. Uh, prior to Memphis, we lived in Minnesota, and and uh, here's how I discovered music: was was my mom had all these forty fives uh, and a record player down in the basement. Mm -hmm. Which had just amazing reverb, you know, that natural <laughs> cinder block, you know, mm -hmm. and it's where you'd gather when there was a, 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 a 
uh, a hurricane, you mm. know, warning, you all getting <laughs> the radio down there. So it had this kind of scary element about it anyways. And mm -hmm. I would go down there and throw these records on and they were, my mom, they were her, 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 her my mom's roommates. My mom couldn't stand rock and roll, which mm -hmm. I think is part of the reason I w wound up loving it so much. <laughs> but it was all, it was Elvis, Sam Cooke, Jerry mm -hmm. Lee Lewis, Everly's, mm -hmm. um, so I was primed for when the Beatles came on. Mm -hmm. You know, I would go down there, literally get on a rocking horse and, and just put on a stack of 45s and just thrash, and you know, <laughs> and the sound would bounce off the wall. And it, it was always funny to me, too, if there was a scream, like I think there was a Little Richard record, and I think it was probably Tutti Frutti or something, but, you know, when he would scream, mm -hmm. it, it was so intense, I'd have to, like, go up to the top of the steps. I knew when the scream was coming, <laughs> and I'd kind of wait for the scream to happen and kind of go back down the steps, get on the rocking horse. And <laughs> it. So, it was, you know, it was funny. Um, but around that time is when, when uh, JFK was killed, too. Mm -hmm. So all that kind of... <clears throat> okay, now you, you have to be too... I mean, because I remember where I was and what I was doing. You had to be too young. I was in, I was in like, second grade or something. And I was four, I think. <laughs> yeah. Four, five, four. Mm -hmm. um, and here's what I remember about that. I tell this story. You know, the one time I saw my dad cry was uh you know you, you remember there were like three channels so mm -hmm. everything on tv was was the the event the funeral you know uh, oswald i mean i don't remember seeing the oswald thing happen but uh, i do well mm. i'm sure i've seen it many times since but right. um but i remember that when kennedy had been killed and my dad came home crying i mean mm -hmm. he had his face in his hands and he's like oh, the president's been killed you know and I grew up thinking, God, that's the one time I, I saw, you know, my dad. Cry. That's amazing to have a memory at four. And like some memories happen because we see pictures of them yeah. or we see a movie yeah. or we're reminded. Do you really remember seeing well, it? There's a punchline to this story. Okay. <laughs> I brought mm -hmm. this up to my mom, I mm -hmm. think maybe like ten years ago. I said, You know that time when dad cried and Kennedy was she goes, He wasn't crying, he was drunk. He hated Kennedy. He voted for Nixon. And as she said that, I kind of remembered them going in the kitchen. And then the part, it, it kind of came back to me, this this kind of mum, mumbling behind the door, like, <laughs> you know, I'm back at the TV watching whatever. And, and it's like, it, it's funny how that stuff, when when somebody fills in the gaps for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So anyway, it's one of those memories that just goes. Poof. My mother voted for Nixon also, but she cried that day. Oh, I mean... Mm -hmm. It, it was, I mean, you felt the world, you know. But so did you have an aware, do, do you kind of have a memory of that day? At what point do you remember, like, when did you notice Robert Kennedy? Like, because he was gone just a few years later. Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll just cap the JFK okay. thing with, you know, three months later, the Beatles came on at Sullivan. Mm -hmm. So all that. And do you remember that? In my young four years, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, this is what happens. You know, there's this thing that happens. Drama. And I, you know, I, I, I describe to people younger than myself uh, or younger than us, you know, you don't understand. Within a five-year period, JFK, Martin Luther King, Bobby, that was that happened within five years. Yes, it did. And I, at my age, just thought, well, this is normal. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to be one of these guys who has a message and has this, you're, you know, you're... You're going to kick, get killed. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's, a, it's a volatile place to be, or, mm -hmm. you know, vulnerable place to be. So, anyways, yeah, so cutting ahead to to Bobby, um, yeah, I really did. I, I embraced the Kennedys somehow. I You know, I'd gone to, my grandmother lived in, in Arlington, so we would gone to Washington, and um, 
I'd seen Kennedy's grave. It's really weird. The one one strange dream I can remember, like growing up, was where I met John Kennedy by his grave. But it was weird because he was like, he was a teenager, and he had like those dark eyes, like you see in the you know the circles, like you see in those old pictures of people. And he was wearing like a Letterman's jacket, mm-hmm. and it, it was weird. Nothing was said. It was like this silent conversation. But I remember it so vividly. And maybe it's because I'd been to the grave and the eternal mm. flame and all that. And, and But anyways, I went on to just kind of embrace, you know, who... To this day, I, I still... Uh, you, you can talk about their, their foibles as people or, you know... And everybody has them because everybody's human. But there was, um, there was a light mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was pretty, uh, you know, undeniable, especially at that age. And I, I just took note of it, and I thought, well, I want to do that. I want to reach people that way somehow. So you were literally the little kid that said, "I want to be the president." When yeah, I, grow I knew up. all the presidents. You know, <laughs> I knew I kind of knew their parties. I knew how they were. You know, mm-hmm. it, and my dad would kind of trot me out and say, "You know, name the presidents, mm-hmm. or, or you know, how was that one elected?" And and you know. And and my uncle, uh, who's a lawyer in in uh, D.C., you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, um, but he was studying. So it was all being kind of paved out. I was going to go there and be a page, and thank God I was mm-hmm. no, no telling what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, and I was set to. I was already looking at you know, Virginia Law School. I want to go there. Oh wow! I mean, you know, uh-huh. this, I had kind of. It was all kind of being mapped out. And, and you had political aspirations. Your father was a Republican, I'm assuming, since yes. he voted for... Mm-hmm. So at what point do you start... Because I can remember making the decision. Like, I read I read Malcolm X. You know, yeah. I, I, I read Malcolm X. I read Chairman Mao. I, I read yeah. these things. Yeah. And I was becoming political. Right. And, and I, I started when I was about 11 and a half. Can you remember sort of making... Like, being sucked into i you know and i you know my parents were nixon supporters and i i think you know there was a period where i even went with them on that mm-hmm. i said well he's the president we need to stand by him wow and i but what turned me on and what mm-hmm. still does was kind of the group uh the group activity or the group response mm-hmm. um that just fascinated me for mm-hmm. one that 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 you know the group unity and and uh um just that dynamic. The power of the party. Yeah, which again figures into the gang and part of what turns mm-hmm. me on about them. So, so 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 at what point are you becoming a, I'm assuming you you were an activist fairly early. No, I wasn't. I was mm-hmm. I was kind of like a, a an a, an observer of act mm-hmm. of activism of activism. Mm-hmm. Um Always a, a lot an observer. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'll say that about myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, an acute observer. <laughs> okay. So now, while you're doing all this observing and yeah. you're you're readying for your political career and your inevitable seat in the White House, which yeah. who knows could still happen. Sure. Um, uh, are you acting in plays? What, what? Where is that coming in? Or music? Well, what's the first I, thing? What's well, the I got first a guitar when I was like nine. I wanted one. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I wanted to be president and I wanted to be a Beatle. <laughs> you know, I, I'd go back and forth, and mm-hmm. you know, still to this day, all the music from '65 to '72. That's where I live. That's mm-hmm. where my band lives, mm-hmm. you know. And and we uh, we do we do stuff I write mainly, but but I always I love doing covers, and it's always like the Buddy Holly cover of Words of Love was just oh, fabulous yeah. yesterday well, we did, with yeah, Dan Buddy Navarro. Holly by way of the Beatles, I think. Yeah, it was we great. Were, yeah, we were in the we were in the kitchen going, "What Beatles songs?" I, mean, mm-hmm. I tossed that one, but that was fun. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. So uh, got a guitar at nine, started playing, and and you know I I never really took lessons. I, I took lessons at the Y when we lived in Connecticut for like a month, I think. But mostly what I learned from friends or older guys who played, mm -hmm. which is what my son's doing now that I love. I mean, he's had been mentored by some of the best, and and he's kicking my ass now. How old he's is great. he? He'll be seventeen, a uh, couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but so, anyways, I think I think where I started to align myself more was something performing wise. Um, you know, I I skip ahead to when I was sixteen. I saw the the Rolling Stones for the first time. I wanted to be Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, and um, it was around that time that we moved to California. So this is the summer of '75. I, I know I'm skipping things, but I'm I'm kind of getting to more current on this. Um, so when I was 16, we moved to California, um, and I met this man, a, a guy who taught at the high school where I went to in Millbrae, California, San Mateo area, mm -hmm. um, who was just exceptional with, uh, with kids, for one. He was a counselor as well as a drama teacher. And he had a wife who taught over here and did the same thing. She taught drama and... and uh, and was a counselor as well. So and and I loved their life. I mean, they had, you know, they didn't have kids. They chose not to, mm -hmm. but they had many kids who would come back and you know visit them and bother them. And I was one of them. And and they would travel a lot and they would do theater and they direct each other and work with friends in San Francisco. And it was just a great life. And I'll come back to that because it's anyway. <laughs> well, well, while you're segueing, um, Louise Weezy. Um, mm is um teaches teenagers comedy and okay. has a podcast for teenagers called journals out loud which is amazing which happens in this room which oh. is why it looks so fabulous mm -hmm. and um and she has also chosen to mentor many kids and chooses and chose not to have her own exactly. i think that's yeah my sister's one of those and I, I i you know when people come to me kind of bemoaning the fact that they're not going to have a child by a certain age or or they can't. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, you can have plenty. I mean, and I, <laughs> you know, I have more than, than mine. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I bring this man up because he had many. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and in that context, I mean, I'll say he's, he's one, of, one of three men that I count as like my other dads. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, there's the one that you have biologically. And then right. there are the ones that you kind of, Okay, so he's way. that's one, and who, that's who one. else? Who else you got? Uh, another one. <laughs> <laughs> who else my, you got? Okay, my mom's roommate, who had the forty fives that she uh, wound up with. Mm -hmm. She had a husband. We'd we'd go visit them, uh, the Toledo years. So that's seventh grade to sixteen. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody in the Midwest will migrate to Florida in the spring. I mean, <laughs> that's just what you do. And <laughs> so they lived down there. Uh, Ellen, her friend. And Chuck, her husband, was was this uh, real character. He was a uh, he was an oral surgeon. He'd gone to West Point, but he was just profane and perverted and funny and and just uh, I don't know, authenticity. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's really my main turn on in anybody. I mm -hmm. think so. Um, he was all that. Um, so those were two. But I will say this, the uh, the three of them all 
passed away with the birth of my two sons or mm. around the birth of my two sons, which I found kind of ironic. Mm. But I, I, you know, I'll say this about the three of these men. I, I felt I would feel so golden anytime I was with them or had been with them. And I remember the adjustment when they they passed was like, damn, now it's up to me. Mm. Shit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're they're around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe in that. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so so music happens first, and when <clears throat> when does acting happen to oh, you? Oh yeah. Okay. So I bring up, uh, and I still call him Mr. Knight. His name is Alan Knight. Um, and just to, I describe him this way: If Robin Williams had a dad, because he looked like him, kind mm-hmm. of only beard, kind of that kind of stocky build, but. He's the kind of guy who would talk to you for five minutes before you realized he was bullshitting the hell out of you. <laughs> he would just get this little twinkle in his eye. So he was like Robin Williams, but subtle. Mm-hmm. It's like if Robin Williams had, had never done cocaine. Subtle and Robin Williams have never been used in the same I, sentence. I was going to say, so if you can imagine kind of a settled, older version, but a hilarious man, um, just a lot of fun. And... and uh, and so I started doing plays then. I done in Toledo I'd done stuff with speech where you do kind of like you're the two voices in a play or something and mm-hmm. you compete that way. Mm-hmm. I'd done that and that was fun because you got to, you know, go out of town for the night and drink beer and smoke cigars when you're fifteen <laughs> or sixteen. So um but uh so I started doing plays when I got to California and, and he I it just got me interested. And I literally I had a band and I had uh, was doing that and it really came down to either joining this band and going on the road or going to UCLA and I chose UCLA because I thought okay I'll stroke my parents more and mm-hmm. and, and, I, and you were a theater major from the start yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and I think even in the back of my mind even then at that age I thought you know I'll probably live a little longer if I go this way and and so uh, by this time you had abandoned the president of the United States? Oh yeah, that was gone. That mm-hmm. was gone. But I still to this day I have a fascination in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I see it as I, I view it like people view sports sometimes. It's like I again being the observer, I observe the strategy. Well then you're being very entertained currently. Oh god, it's it's a daily sh- <laughs> and I don't even, you know, I don't watch the news. I, I get democracy now. That's kind of my source, you mm-hmm. know. And I I to me, there's always what's presented and what's underneath. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, I'm, my source of news is just headlines. I go, okay, that's what's being presented. What's, you know, my imagination comes into a little bit and mm-hmm. my, also my kind of uh, pragmatic sense. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is probably what's going on. A week later, that's the headline, you know? Right. So, um, so you have a keen intuitive sense. I do that. And I, because I always have kind of kept a, a well, I, I think just kind of a, a fascination with, with politics. Mm-hmm. Then um, please tell us what's going to happen. <laughs> you want me to tell you? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, Cameron was telling me when he walked in the door about the fact that he, uh, I was showing him a hole in my shirt, which will be fashion, <laughs> which we're going to claim is, Louise claimed as fashion. The highest. The highest it fashion. It is. Kanye has a whole line about it. The, and, 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 so, <laughs> and so, Cameron, tell your story about Disneyland. Oh, Disneyland. yeah. Well. Wait, Disneyland? What? Well, yeah, he's gonna <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody just brought this princess. up recently that that uh, they asked me about this story, and I, I it's funny because I had to remember it that a friend and I uh, were denied entrance to Disneyland one year because I used to wear these jeans, holy jeans, you know, like now people spend a lot of money on them, and and 
I mean, I'll tell you the secret too, because I always kind of rub the, the <laughs> tops of the thighs here. When you mm-hmm. do that, you'll mm-hmm. get a good fray. Mm-hmm. Naturally, you mm-hmm. won't have to mm-hmm. you know, pay for it. I'm telling you, knees <laughs> blow out in my jeans. It just happens, you know. So, um, so I had this pretty impressive pair of jeans if I think about it now. And uh, so a friend and I couldn't get in, which was okay because we brought them and their kids. Uh, somebody but I else. I can't and, even believe that the, I didn't even know there was a, a dress code at Disneyland. There is well, a dress code. Was, I, it, well, I'm finding out. Yeah. This was around the time too that I I, I was recalling this. I'll tell a couple of Disneyland stories. One thing. I you know I've never gone to Disneyland unless somebody came to town and said, "Oh, we got to go to Disneyland." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Sure, okay, let's go." Yeah. And there was one time. I remember two friends came down. This was like, this goes back a few years before, 83, I think. And at that time, you know, there, there weren't, it was pretty wide at Disneyland. There really wasn't a mm, lot of uh, diversity, diversity mm-hmm. you know, among the, the, the congregation there. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because that particular day, you know, and we were like kids all day. It was fun. But then the sun went down. And Cool in the Gang was playing on Tom Sawyer Island. Nice. Wow. Now, I love that whole combination. <laughs> but all of a sudden, the sun was down, and there were black people. It, just, like, wow. it like the whole spectrum Vibe had changed. changed. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, you can have it. <laughs> Everybody's wow. hands were there. It, it, was, it was really just one of those things that I remember. It's like, That's awesome. when the sun goes down at Disneyland. <laughs> you know? uh, no, the, but tell the story that the, you the told jeans, me. Coming, yeah, okay, so that so. was a couple of years later. And, and so they didn't let me in. And I literally said out loud, I said, you know what? Within a year from now, you're going to pay $100 for these jeans. <laughs> and I was right. So he's got, he's, so he, he's a he's, prognosticator. He's, yes, he's prophetic. So uh, <laughs> with jeans, with well, jeans in the world, jeans and politics, and politics, jeans and politics, quite well, a combination. It's, it's you, you don't just see those? Slip your hands into them. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So, so, so now you're at UCLA and you, mm. you're, what's, what's your, what's your, what's your highest vision at that point? What do, what do you, what do you dream of being? What, what do you think, what are you thinking is your future? I, you know, from the start, I thought I want to act. I want to direct. I want to, um, stage, film. What are you thinking then? Stay, well, LA is more film, yeah. TV, and, mm-hmm. and I'd done stage and I enjoyed stage and mm-hmm. I continued to do, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I mean, if truth be told, I prefer people say what do you prefer i i prefer stage mm-hmm. uh, just as a, a soul theater mm-hmm. i mean it's more rewarding you have kind of an arc that you you know play all the way through and you start somewhere and end somewhere and film is really more about uh just grabbing the moment mm-hmm. and there's an art to that too but mm-hmm. uh, uh and yeah, i'll talk about that because i just had a recent revelation with the uh, film me and film mm-hmm. um i'll talk about i'll talk about these things as they come to mind because that's the only way i remember them but mm-hmm. Uh, so right out of UCLA, I started working, Tim, a uh, group of my friends, you know, we were, we all kind of got lucky. We go, they had a, a thing at the time. They, I think they still have this. It's like a showcase where they pick 12 people and you do two person scenes. And so industry people come, agents come and mm-hmm. you do, you know, if you're lucky, you get agents out of that. And mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I actually had the intention of going to New York once I got out of UCLA, mm-hmm. but I started working in LA. So mm-hmm. I, you know. Got used to that. There was a point where I think where I was supposed to do a soap opera in New York for two years, and I backed out in the eleventh hour and didn't do it. Um, Any regrets? Well, at the time, I remember bussing tables and the, the <laughs> table I was talking about with Dan, like where everybody sang and you know. Mm. It's like oh well, t- they don't know about that story oh, because okay. they weren't in the house yesterday. Well, so I'll, I'll bring that up. But at the time, let's just say I was bussing tables and kind of going, I turned down how much. And <laughs> but the irony is, within that two and a half year period, I think I made. 
as much or more than I would have made you from know, just things. doing like a film here or a film there. Well, yeah, Valley mm-hmm. Girl came out. And okay, like, so how did how did that happen, and what <laughs> was that experience like? Since uh, that's something many people will remember. Yeah, Valley Girl. Um, yeah, it was not long after I got out of school, and uh, you know, I'd done some episodes of things. The, the, What's, what was your fir- what was your first payday? My first payday was Mash. That's I a was, pretty good first yeah, payday. Yeah, it was the final season, and I was a big fan of the show, and uh, it was great. I mean, I got paid to basically hang out in pajamas for a couple of days. <laughs> what did you play? I played a wounded soldier mm-hmm. who a, a, a friend of mine at school was also in that episode, and our half of the episode was where he was a virgin, and I played the, this guy who gave him shit for it all the time. Uh, you know, so it was fun, and and, and I'm totally spacing. Uh, Louise, who's the one who came to the living room, who wrote the book? Mike Farrell. Oh, Mike Farrell is such a doll, and talk about a political activist. Well, he ties in with the gang too. Does he? Uh, in fact, re- yeah, I just recently uh, did this play, The Exonerated, mm-hmm. which we had done years ago, and we brought back. And if you don't know, The Exonerated is about uh, six people. True story true stories of six people who were exonerated from death row mm. uh, and all innocent and mm-hmm. should have been exonerated and, and kind of about how they survived it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Mike had done the play years ago. And so when we did it, uh, the gang was the first to do this production. It was written by two actors. Um, and uh, so we had done it, it was like 15 years ago. And recently in Nebraska, they were talking about bringing the death penalty back. And they mm-hmm. said, look, would you bring that, oh, wow. redo that and bring it to uh-huh. us? So we remounted it. And when we did that, I was put in charge of uh, some talkbacks afterwards, mm-hmm. bringing in some guys who had been exonerated. Uh, we actually had one of the characters, um, Carrie Cook, who was one of the people being represented in the play, was there one night. Wow. But Mike got involved. I, our, mm-hmm. I, we have a mutual friend. Um, who who has written a play on David Keeling, who's mm-hmm. the guy who basically kind of discovered what global warming was that Mike does. So there was that connection, and I was able to say, look, you know, Mash was my first job, and, <laughs> and I'd worked with Shelley, his wife, mm-hmm. at one point. So yeah, we had stuff to talk about. I, I saved that for like the fifth call or something. <laughs> but but Mike was very uh, instrumental in in um, helping me find uh, you know the people to come talk for that. Fabulous. And he's, he's a wonderful man. Yeah, and it was you know, around election time, too, mm. so it was... Uh, but he's... And, and now he's even more of a friend. He, he, he's always kind of been, uh, you know, around mm-hmm. with us, but now even more so, and we're just happy to have him. He's a great, great person and, mm-hmm. and a great uh, humanitarian. Yes, also. he is. He is. Yeah. He's amazing. Okay, so, so your first gig is on MASH. Yeah, so that... Uh, and you get your payday. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I was working... I mean, I still had to kind of, you know, bust tables and do this and kind of still So you work. did the singing waiter thing. Yeah, this so Great American Food and Beverage was a restaurant. Uh, there were three of them, and and did you know those, Wheezy? This no. was in the so what late seventies, early eighties, um, and so Dan Navarro from yesterday. Uh, Dan worked with Bob Romanis. Um, worked. They all worked at the Hollywood one, which is now a tire place. It's mm-hmm. like La Cienega in Santa Monica. It was that corner. I worked down in Santa Monica. That was the the larger one. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I know Ricky Lee Jones worked there a while ago. <laughs> Peter Tork, I think, worked there at some point. That's crazy. So it's kind of everybody's way station. And, and, <laughs> and it's where everybody wound up because one at a time they closed, and that was kind of the last surviving one. Mm. So at that point, Dan, I think, and Eric were already kind of... For those of you who are out there, I don't, I don't think I talked about this on the air, but yeah. Dan Navarro wrote the Pat Benatar anthem, We yeah. Belong. He and, and Eric Lowen, yeah, who yes. also worked at that restaurant. Uh, uh, right, that's where they met, I yeah. guess he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, some good things got... Uh, some good people came out of there great musicians mm-hmm. and again it was all acoustic back in those days so mm-hmm. it's you know you just there you're not doing original songs you have to be doing covers some people there. Really? some people did I mean wow. you know I, this is why I like covers because when people hear something they know they're in mm-hmm. you know my secret when I play I always start with a cover because mm-hmm. people go oh I know this one and then right. you got it you know right you go from there that's a but, good um, that's a good plan uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> So, anyways, that was that was work, and then I, I yeah, so Valley Girl uh, that came about, and that was, uh, you know, that, that film, that's your first big thing. I'm that guessing that's my first film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, probably the one I'm most identified with. I'm uh, sure on that's the street true. Or wherever. Um, and, and I, you know, at the time, I thought, well, huh, this movie, it's. Goofy. I thought if anything, it would have a good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believed a lot in Martha, the mm-hmm. director, Martha Coolidge, because mm-hmm. uh, she was, you know, and, and in a way, she spoiled me because she she would rehearse with the actors. You know, you mm-hmm. don't film. It's like you show up, kind of know your stuff. They know theirs, and you go at it. And if you have more of a budget, you have a little more time. We had a very low, but in fact, that movie was made for under three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, I, I think that figure's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to qualify these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we're all, you know, changing in the garage and stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this is making movies. Okay. So is Nicolas Cage not famous yet? Nick had done uh, Fast Times. Oh. He was kind of whittled down in mm-hmm. Fast Times in mm-hmm. a small part. But he had just done Rumblefish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was his first time as Nicolas Cage. Uh, he changed, changed the name. Changed from Coppola, yeah. Um, yeah, and he was, uh, we had a good time. We, you know, our friendship didn't continue beyond that, mm-hmm. um, as things do. I mean, a lot of times you're tight at the time you're working. and, mm-hmm. and But we uh, we embraced each other's kind of uh, crazy, mm-hmm. you know, which I continue to do. With, it's my favorite thing to do with people is embrace our crazies <laughs> together. Our crazies. And everybody has them, believe mm-hmm. me. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I was, you know, I was... Done. The film was done in like three and a half weeks. I mean, oh, it was wow. very quick. And I thought, uh-huh. well, let's make it movies. And, you know, a month later, I was back bussing tables again going, well, okay, I guess this <laughs> is it. And, 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 I, and of course, having no clue that it's going to take, I can't imagine uh, that you knew what would come from it. Well, no. And then, I mean, literally people were coming into the restaurant where I was bussing their table like, we just saw you tonight. <laughs> you know, I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. Could I sing you a song? <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, so that was that. And then I, a movie came after that, uh, Joy of Sex. You, you mentioned the National Lampoon, which National Lampoon, I think, would drop their name from it because mm-hmm. it was it was another film that Martha did. Uh, and a couple, of, a couple of us from Valley Girl did it, and it was Paramount. Uh, it was a screwy thing somehow where you know, it was a blast when we were doing it, but the end result, they basically pulled the movie from her. Hmm. And gave it their own thing, and it closed. And somebody even explained to me when a movie closes, investors don't. You know, there was something over here that that kind of mm-hmm. happened with it. But it was a great experience. Um, 
but that happened and then you know all of a sudden i was kind of working where i didn't have to bust a table you know that would come later on too but mm -hmm. uh for the time i um you know was was kind of a working actor mm -hmm. and would work a lot in tv and you know a lot of most of the films i did in the 80s were kind of goofy you know teen things that weren't were you know now now they have almost a little more of a cachet than they did then. It mm -hmm. was a really hit or hit or miss back then. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just kept working. I mean, my thing was I just want to be a working actor, and so I was. And um, and were you, st were you doing theater throughout this? So? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, okay. So getting back to the gang, right? Um, you know, literally, the Joy of Sex, that that film. Uh, one of the first gang plays uh, that was kind of, it was a big play, and it was it was. Again, oftentimes I will, I will work on something that's just such a joy and a, a, so rewarding to work on, but the, the result, critically or, or you know, just how it's received, is, is not you know, what you would want it to be. And mm -hmm. this was a play, literally, it was one, a play that Tim wrote about the nuclear holocaust. <laughs> it was a Brechtian musical about the nuclear holocaust. It was a musical. It was about a the musical. Holocaust. And and nice. in which now, you know, he's kind of come back to this idea. Mm -hmm. Harlequino Road to Freedom, mm -hmm. the play now at the gang. He's come back to the the musical idea. Mm -hmm. So he I mean Tim's musical himself. You mm -hmm. know, he, he I've he's seen him play. Sings right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great songwriter. Mm -hmm. Um and comes from that lineage too. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, so the the play had like I think there were most nights, more of us on stage than those in the audience. Uh, <laughs> but Richard Olivier, who was also a friend and kind of an early member of the gang, he directed it. Uh, Lawrence's son, mm -hmm. just for reference. Um, but uh, That's noble and, lineage. Yeah, and a lot of gang members, some of the older gang members were in that. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was this odd concept where there's a green group of clowns and a blue group of clowns, and they wanted to breed the perfect family, so they chose the boy from this side and the girl from this side. And there's the man from this and the woman, you know, pulling the strings on everything. And ultimately, I was the boy in that, and I, she's pregnant, and things are. I find out we find out about the plan that, that is going on, and we, I shoot the baby, all of it, all three of us. The bullet goes through all three. Of, so I mean, people would leave this thing like they they were leaving a, a funeral. You mm. know, it was it was heavy handed, mm -hmm. but musical, but early ideas that that have now kind of you know uh, grown into what the gang's doing now. So hi. <laughs> um, Justin so, Levins is here, our Emmy-winning sound engineer oh, who man. started with us. He Hi. did the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways. Did you ever see the Sonic Highways on? Um, no, but I... Well, it's, it's fantastic. It's funny because I, I had that idea <laughs> before, <laughs> before it happened. I was like, ah, somebody's doing it. Okay, good. Yeah, and it's great. And yeah, Justin, no, Justin I love, is the sound engineer. He's yeah, brilliant. I will get to the fact why I haven't watched TV in a long time, but okay. um, <laughs> that comes later. But uh, anyway, yeah, good to meet you. Um, now what was I saying about uh, so you were talking about were oh, so you were breeding purple children you <laughs> yeah right the blue side the green, I know it all gets so kooky uh, it's just following my brain but so I was doing those two things simultaneously I remember that play and, and when you do a play at the actors gang even going back that far it's, it's a 
it's a real commitment. I mean, mm-hmm. you throw down a lot of hours, and it's. You uh, know, I was going to say. You know, I I don't know if people out there realize how much of a commitment Tim has made to this thing. I mean, people oh, yeah. think of him as a movie star mm-hmm. and an activist as well. Mm-hmm. I think most of the world has no idea that he's got this going on that he is so committed to and gives so much time to, as do you. Oh yeah. Um, well, not as much not as, as much as he does. I mean, <laughs> no. I, I mean, it, but he's really made it his life's work. His it's yeah. Well, he had there was a ten year period where he got really busy mm-hmm. and he kind of yeah. said look guys making a, a few award-winning yeah. movies and, and things yeah and when that began to happen i mean he did kind of step away a little bit he mm-hmm. said look i'm still you know my name's still here and and i'm going to contribute financially mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i have to go do these things i have to go be a movie star yeah and mm-hmm. then i think it was around uh early he won a little oscar in there that mm-hmm. happened but that uh that was after he came back. I, oh, really? I, oh, mm-hmm. uh, my timeline's screwy on that. Mm-hmm. But he came back, uh, I want to say like early 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was around the turn of the millennium, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but now he's like in with like all feet and all hands and everything well, again, yeah. isn't he? And he lives, you know, because he was in New York for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of based there. But he moved back out here, I can't remember exactly when, but he's, you know, he's local now and, mm-hmm. and local to the theater. So, yeah, he, Tim's very family oriented. That's, mm-hmm. that's very important to him. And mm-hmm. I think it probably happened kind of simultaneously with his sons going away to school. I think that's when he kind of gravitated back more towards the gang. Because mm-hmm. um, he, he, yeah. It's, it's a, that group thing you were talking it's a about before. Thing. It's that yeah. thing. Yeah. It's that party, being part of the party. Yeah, well, and that's always been part of the gang, too, is the party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the party the is very important. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, so 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 you're making movies, and, and mm. sometimes you're having to go back and wait on tables. And, yeah. And um, yeah. and so what? how does the, the, what does the dream morph into, and what is it now? Uh, you know, there's some layers to this, and I'll, I'll try to condense it a little bit. Um, I was just telling somebody last night, somebody said, you know, people often ask me, and it's a great question, and it's a compliment, and they say, you know, why didn't you get huge? Why didn't, you know, and they're, you know, giving me faith in what I can do, and mm-hmm. and, um, and and I've always had faith in what I do, pretty much, you know, as, a, as an actor, as a singer-songwriter, I'm fearless that way. Uh, these are just things that have come to me. Excuse re- me. Would, Lindsay, would you please write that down? Because that is our takeaway. <laughs> what? Oh, fearlessness. Because I've always had faith in what I do. I'm fearless. There it is. We have a take. After you leave, yeah. we then talk about what the takeaway is with you. Like what? Right. what is the tool, well, the main tool. And, and, and for me, that's it right, right there. But here's what I'm about to say is okay. I, I realized, and this is fairly recently, I am fearless on stage mm-hmm. uh, as a singer or as a, an actor uh, because you can't touch me. And, and you know put it this way people ask me oftentimes they say you know I don't get you Kurt Cobain or Amy Winehouse they had it all you know what happened and I say to them it's like they had it all when you were seeing them on Mm -hmm. stage you know you didn't see them as the person Mm -hmm. and what I'm about to say is yeah I'm fearless on stage and I'm fearless um, singing acting but being the person separate from that that's been really for me the challenge um, and I can go down a kind of heavy path with this. I, I, when I was 25, so kind of about where we left off on that, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed bipolar. 
mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I'll say there was a lot of partying. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, what I was about to say when people ask me, well, why didn't you get huge? Sometimes I flat out say, so I could still be alive. <laughs> because honestly, if I had, I think at that time, mm-hmm. uh, done, had as much money as I wanted mm-hmm. to do whatever I wanted, yeah. I, I don't know that I would be around. So I think in a way I was kind of saved. Yeah. Save. So um, before you move on from that, I just want to say we were talking about this at the at the top of the show, and uh, Louise made the point that there is. Um, I was saying that there's freedom and structure for me. Mm-hmm. What, the more structure I have, the freer I feel. Mm-hmm. So if I have a routine, mm-hmm. then I can be. You uh, know, yeah. if I'm with a safe person, then yeah. I can. Then I can experiment because it's I can be fearless because I know I'm not going to be judged. Or, yeah. And so Louise was making that analogy. Yeah. Yes, I, I said there's freedom within boundaries, or uh, I think we all need to feel safe. Well, yeah, and and as an actor, as an artist, you have to create your own boundaries. Ah. And there's a real irony here because most artists, I think, become artists because they have no boundaries. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and they, uh, you know, all this ties into the fact that if you're lucky enough to live long enough. Mm-hmm. And realize that, yeah, that person on stage that, that is fearless is also this person talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the, the connection that I feel when I'm doing that art, whatever mm-hmm. that art is, mm-hmm. that pain, and this could be, you know, it doesn't have to be an art, I apply it to artists, but it could be a doctor, it could be a, mm-hmm. you know, there's doctors who will spend 10 hours at their job, but they don't know how to be with their family, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when they feel the most dialed in and connected. They know they're connected to something when they're mm-hmm. doing this mm-hmm. thing that they do mm-hmm. but then as a person wandering around or you know just living life so that's really i i bring that up because that's that's only a recent uh, revelation for mm-hmm. me and i i wanted to talk about uh so tv and film you know we can go through this period that period but i i've had a long uh, i'm just coming back into tv and film after a long period mm-hmm. um and it was somewhat voluntarily because uh, Voluntary because I, I, you know, I've gotten busy with the gang teaching, and we'll get to the prison stuff. Come back to that, but uh, but a long time out of TV and film, and you know, I would kind of bemoan that fact and go, "What's what? I'm good, you know. Why can't mm-hmm. I get an audition? Why won't mm-hmm. nobody see me?" But I just recently came up with this this idea that a I hate film set <laughs> being on a film set, mm-hmm. and here's why because. I realize when I walk onto a film set, uh, part of being an actor for me or an artist for me is being an empath. Mm-hmm. I will soak up all of your ego, your your stress, your fears, your and the fact that I have to sell it with you that you're fine. That it gets into something that I grew mm-hmm. up with that you can't pay me enough to to do. But mm-hmm. that's really kind of the nature of my job on a film set mm-hmm. until the three hours when I actually get to step in and and act. Mm-hmm. That's the vacation. That's the easy part. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of this, at some point, uh, I start playing a lot of bad guys, and I'm I'm the nicest guy I know. I'm <laughs> say I'll qualify myself, but um, and I would feel this extra. Uh, weight of having to convince you know uh, being the bad guy of the week on whatever show mm-hmm. convince everybody look I'm a good guy too and by the end of the day man I was just tapped mm-hmm. so I, I really just in this last year kind of came up with you know what yeah I, I've hated film sets for a long even though mm-hmm. I, I would make my money that way but there was part of me that just kind of dreaded mm-hmm. not the work 
but everything around everything it. that came with it yeah yeah mm-hmm. i would say it's like i love flying i love once the plane's in the air but mm-hmm. i hate everything right getting up to, to the it, airport and all and of the, the package the yeah <laughs> it's kind of like that mm-hmm. so uh but stage has always been comfortable because stage i don't have to be out there among you mm-hmm. i'm i'm up here you know um singing it's any parties that we ever had it's always i was always the guy with the guitar mm-hmm. in the room because that was the comfortable place for me to be you know mm-hmm. um so I'm fitting a lot into like. <laughs> okay, so now let's get to here. prison. So so how so so tell <laughs> us God about tell us about what the what the <laughs> actors gang is is doing to. Uh, I went and saw the play of the prisoner. I'm forgetting oh, his lyrics name. to lockdown. Oh. Yeah, well, that's where we met. I yeah. met you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, great piece. R- wonderful piece. Yeah. So okay, so what mm. what do you guys? Why do you guys go into prison? W- what's the, the prison reform thing that you've got going on? Okay, quick history. Uh, one of our company members, Sabra Williams, mm-hmm. um, grew up. Her parents did something similar in England. She's mm-hmm. from England, and and uh, I think that program was teaching Shakespeare to the inmates mm-hmm. over there. So she came. And the intention is. Uh, well, the, our intention, mm-hmm. and uh, as was. The original intention over Mm -hmm. there, I think, is rehabilitation, Mm -hmm. uh, to use theater as a form of rehabilitation. And, uh, you know, the style that we work with in the Actors Gang, which is Commedia dell'arte, one of the uh, one of the principles of, of it is that you always have four states of emotion. You always are playing one of these four states full, large. You're angry, happy, sad, or afraid. Mm-hmm. And what this does in this work, and you're also you're playing everything to the audience. There's no fourth wall mm-hmm. in this work, mm-hmm. so you're always connected to some a lot of, lot to do with eye contact mm-hmm. and giving and receiving that way energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, what it does uh, with these guys and with everybody really is it it makes you judge your feelings much less. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody's not judging theirs, then you. By not judging theirs, you don't judge your own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys, I think, were, I know, were put in prison because they had such harsh judgment about their anger or mm-hmm. their, uh, for one, mm-hmm. uh, drugs were usually involved too mm-hmm. somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when you work with the the inmates, you 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 can know why they're in there if you choose, but you choose not to. Yeah. And and you know, very quickly, mm-hmm. I I kind of. The guys, anyway, I'll, I'll in the in my mind, I kind of size them up in my mind. Mm-hmm. Just go, okay. he's a murderer. Well, <laughs> well, I, you you can gauge if somebody's in there for life. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably been part of their uh, mm-hmm. their uh, <laughs> how long? So what do I want to call it? Like, I just want to call it their mural. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I I just always think in the back. Okay, drugs were involved mm-hmm. in some form of rage. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, I, I'm kind of equal with them in my mind, just thinking, all right, the only difference between you and me is you made a decision mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, uh, but anyway, the, to see the work. With so like when you go in there and you are going to spend a day there, or however mm-hmm. long you spend there, what does that look like? Well, you go in for, uh, it's a four hour class, I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, so you get there very early and, you know, we discuss what we're going to do going in. There's usually four of us that go in at a time together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, you know, now I'm talking prison. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's quickly growing. I think we're up to 10 prisons now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we got um, uh, Eric Holder, who was attorney general, mm-hmm. 
got aligned with us at some point that moved things obviously tim's name has helped mm -hmm. um so the the program continues to to get bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and uh i i think we're kind of going towards all of the prisons in california wow i mean briefly uh we we start at one prison there was a guy within uh, an inmate within that group who started his own theater company. Mm -hmm. So that started us thinking, well, you know what we can do is we can go to ones that aren't close to us, mm -hmm. teach them for a, just do an intensive week with them, getting them teaching themselves right. as this guy had done with his company, mm -hmm. uh, who's now working for us, by the way. Wow. He's out. Yeah. Chris, you might've been Chris. Anyway. That's fabulous. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's really kind of what's what's happening now is, is we go from prison to prison, kind of get them leading themselves. And I'm imagining um, that it's as much about as as much as it's about the art, it's more about I'm I'm imagining the self discovery and the self expression, mm. and um, I'm I'm guessing that for the prisoners to be able to enact. Uh, those intense emotions that they have had guilt about before there's mm -hmm. a freedom to that and and oh, a, yeah. a rebirth kind of for them yeah it's it's well, for starters you know the 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 room is filled with people who are usually on the other side of the yard from each other sometimes you know by way of gang affiliations mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. so one of the the things you get to see in the work is is the bonding over an eight-week period mm. between them because first everybody's pretty standoffish and they have that kind of neutral face that mm -hmm. you have to have you mm -hmm. know in the yard mm -hmm. but pretty quickly they 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 find out it's safe mm -hmm. in there mm -hmm. and they throw down hard i mean they mm -hmm. really just it's and you know with the again with the style that we use there are in in commedia dell'arte there are i think 12 12 14 stock characters mm -hmm. uh initially it was a you know it was a form of theater to poke fun at the rich mm -hmm. so there's all the servants there's mm -hmm. different characters that way different attributes mm -hmm. and then there's the rich miserly people and mm -hmm. their family and there's their daughter who's in love with the field mm -hmm. hand and you know mm -hmm. and all that stuff so they pick one of those characters to they get in white face some form of white face they put a mask on basically mm -hmm. that they make on their face with makeup and that's a big deal for them mm -hmm. too, is I bet. but mm -hmm. that's also a big bonding deal They're like i've seen you in makeup mm -hmm. and they say that on the yard to each other they've, they've kind of reported that so uh you know and men play women they play women they play men uh -huh. and it's uh it's exciting and and there's just a lot of ultimately a lot of joy in it a lot of just uh humanity mm -hmm. uh ultimately and and you see people kind of break through mm -hmm. uh, to see the guy who hasn't said a word and is just stone-faced the one day that he just you know mm -hmm. finds it mm -hmm. and we get them writing as well so mm -hmm. a lot of you can imagine i mean the writing's amazing mm -hmm. some of these guys well the one play i saw was a prisoner who wrote his Brian, play and yes. well in his situation was mm -hmm. he just uh what did he spend like a week I mean, his was just a, an unfortunate situation of mm -hmm. being a man of color who was mm -hmm. pulled over for what? A, he was a lawyer. A tail light. Well, yeah. Tell the story that briefly. He was a lawyer and he got pulled over. And yeah, Brian Bain. And uh, his his child was in the car, wasn't? I, was, yeah. I think his child was in well, the car. His girlfriend definitely. Or his was. girlfriend. Oh, I don't his girlfriend. Think his child, okay, a no. girlfriend. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But his child figures in the. It's a great piece, anyways. Gina Belafonte directed that. So this lawyer um, gets gets arrested just because he's black. Mm. 
and he's a lawyer and he gets pulled over and he goes to prison and and goes through all of this just because he's black he can't prove his innocence you know yeah. he has to go through all of this it's yeah he's incarcerated i don't think he goes to prison oh, he's, but he's, he's he's yeah he's incarcerated he's excuse in me a, not a good place uh, so all right so we're get we're wrapping up to, towards the end here so mm. if so what what I what what ahead i feel like i got to close but uh, so, tell me what? um well, you know, I I, I, I casually <laughs> tossed out the bipolar thing, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, so, how did that change your life? Well, I'll just say, you know, that's cutting ahead 25, 30 years later. There's just a lot of growing up. I mean, I've had two sons along the way. I was married for seven years. Um, continue to have relationships and figure myself out more and more. How's your relationship with your sons? Uh, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I have I have two. Uh, one, the, the older son has special a special needs mm-hmm. case, um, and that's been. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, just to say the challenge has not been so much his um, his condition, because he has just beams of light shooting out of him. You know mm-hmm. what you're what is not not given you here is given you way more. Over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll say the. The challenges around that, uh, those of us around that, has mm. it's been very tricky, and I'll mm. leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But um, and my other son, who is now almost seventeen, uh, Mason will be twenty-two. The older one, mm-hmm. um, Mason will be, uh, Calvin will be seventeen. He's just a true California surfer, mm-hmm. uh, loves the ocean, finds mm-hmm. his meditation there. Uh, great guitar player, mm-hmm. like I said, it's kicking my ass better than mm-hmm. me uh just true both just good good men i'm mm-hmm. so blessed that way and and art in their lives so clearly music is in yeah albums, uh-huh. yeah and and mason's a lover of music too we've you know mason and i've written many songs i'm briefly about mason he doesn't speak uh he speaks through a board mm-hmm. uh, these days um but he can write music well he would come up with the words and we would write songs about them all or mm-hmm. we'd write songs about um his camp or uh whatever was going on that, mm-hmm. that was a lot of what we did mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah and has fatherhood changed you do you think yeah i uh, just so, so the, the other day I, I parenthood to me is this i was saying this in your kitchen yesterday i i think parenthood the main responsibility of a parent is to break the chain that's been kind of passed down to you. Mm. In other words, the chain that needs breaking. Mm-hmm. Don't throw the you know the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's very that, interesting. Well, that thing that you find yourself doing, it's like, wait, my dad did this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I I found I found uh, as a parent that I understand my my father a lot better. As do I, my mother. Yeah. But I find that I fight against that every single well, day. Sure. I am a very different parent than my mother was oh, to yeah. me, but at the same time my natural default is yeah. to be exactly the same way. Yeah. So it's a constant. Yeah. I I yeah, again, I don't still don't agree with some of the places that he went, mm-hmm. but I understand now yes. where mm-hmm. he went yes. and why. And um, I didn't mean what I said. I'm not the exact same, but but I but I I notice, have defaults. You notice your similarities. And yeah, yeah, I have defaults yeah. that go there. Yeah. So so what what ahead, Cameron? Is what if you could? I mean, do you still want to be president of the United States? I mean, like if you could be, <laughs> any, like what what do you aspire to now? What turns you on now? What what do you hope for for your future? Uh, I still, you know, I. I I will wrap up with this too. I, I've, uh, you know, I make no 
no bones about discovering certain programs that have made a difference in my life. As they have uh, for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'll, I'll say out loud, you know, my prayer every day is uh, willingness to expand in service and in love because mm -hmm. I think that covers it all. Mm -hmm. And it's been working for me. Um, you know, all the things that I've wanted to do now, I think, uh, musically are starting to come to fruition, mm -hmm. uh, not just in terms of, you know, writing, but, but just opportunities or, mm -hmm. all. cause now it's time. It's mm -hmm. weird to think, you know, when I was 22, I'm like, well, you know, if I don't do this by the time I'm 25, mm -hmm. the Beatles were always like a meter. It's like, you know, right. you forget George Harrison was 27 when the Beatles had done it. And mm -hmm. I was like, God, if I don't do it by then. <laughs> And, you know, I turned 58 this last year, and I'm like, mm -hmm. well, no, now's the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, in other words, there's a clarity now that, mm -hmm. that I'm embracing. Although you've uh, had quite a bit of success along the way. I have, yeah. Um, yeah, but I never. mean, you've gotten to do, you've gotten to live your dream. Yeah, a few times you had to bust tables and stuff, but for yeah. the most part... Yeah. You've been a working actor all your life. Well, and then I've been an actor who's working sometimes, too. <laughs> you know? yeah. And truly. And, mm -hmm. I, and I mean, that goes up even, you know, until recently. I mean, sometimes, you know, fortunately, the work I do now, like I say, with the prisons, you know, we pay ourselves at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and, and we teach also in schools mm -hmm. sometimes. But I really love that. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, in other words... <sighs> Where I've not been able to go over here has taken me places that I'm I'm really glad mm -hmm. it did. Mm -hmm. um, so that's you know I, I that's that's kind of my uh, my direction if I can see it is just um, making a difference. I think right now it's really important. Uh, you know, on my wall is the "Be the Change You Want to See in the World" plaque. Uh, Which we I mentioned briefly before we went on the air, but Louise is doing a documentary now on the Women's March, uh -huh. and she she shot she went to Washington. She shot like a maniac for all of those uh, hours and and prep and after and um, yeah, being the change is uh, Louise is being the change. Yeah. Yes, we're well, all reborn as activists. Good for you, Louise. Now I and I again I get turned on by group energy and uh, and right now I mean if I can say anything positive about uh, the political climate I I feel an, an enormous group energy. Yes, mm -hmm. that's come about in the wake of this these circumstances that we're in now. Um, and so I get it. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I, I'll say this about myself. I see the big picture quicker than a lot of people I know, mm. um, or I have to, mm -hmm. to make things make sense, to mm -hmm. make uh, what I believe in make sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll say that I, I'm, I am turned on by... Uh, I'll, I'll just say it. We're, we're, I feel us taking our country back, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the process of creation mm -hmm. as an artist certainly. And and there's even, a certain sense of revolution. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. never pretty. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, there's the day you go in and you're trying to, you when you do a play, you're excited when you first start it, but there's the the three four weeks of rehearsing where you just go, this is going to be, sh this is going nowhere, this is miserable. <laughs> And then right about as at the time it's about to open, you're like, okay, now it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always remember that with with the world right now. It's it's we're in this kind of messy uh, part of the creation mm -hmm. or, or part of the, the process. Mm -hmm. 
So I look at it that way and just think, all right, I'll, you know, again, I'll do my best mm -hmm. uh, to be the example I can be. And I encourage others to, I mean, the thing, I, 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 you asked me what's going to happen, and I will say yeah. this. I, I think what I see happening right now is compassion being figured out because mm -hmm. right now you have mass condemnation back mm -hmm. and forth. I can't tell who's on what side half the time. Um, you know, I have friends of mine wanting to just take this group of people, put them on the other side of the wall and, and never see them again and mm -hmm. never allow them. I'm like, well, who do you sound like? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's so I see this condemnation back and forth. And I realize for myself, as much as I can con condemn this man or this person, mm -hmm. that's how far I can go with myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's ultimately what people are coming to grips with. It's like, wait a minute. I can condemn myself that much as I'm condemning. I think it's absolutely made me more aware of my own frailties, prejudices, yeah. all of that makes me so much more self-aware. So again, the end mm -hmm. result of all of this, where I see it all going, is compassion. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in the thick of, mm -hmm. we're in the, the mud right now. Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, I look forward Um I was at a Zanku to chicken today, and <laughs> it's a it's a uh, gender non-specific restaurant. I took a picture of it. Uh -huh. I was like, I have to post this. I like, I love Zanku chicken now even more. That mm -hmm. is the new California law. They're just giving uh, establishments a oh, little grace period for compliance. Yes, uh, okay. if it's a onesie toilet, it has to be for everybody. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I've okay. I it. didn't I didn't realize it was the law. So th so they're not being great. They're just complying well, with the law. They're, yeah, they're okay. on but, it. That's yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I was very proud of them. So right. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was wonderful stuff. Right. Um, so, so Cameron, I have one last question for you. And <laughs> this is, this is just like my throwaway at the end each, mm. because I find it fascinating. It's, it's been very, very, it's been varying to a tremendous degree. Is, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you love to mm. do, watch, eat, wear, anything that you go, Oh, I, like that you're a little embarrassed about it, that you hope nobody's looking or that uh, you can't believe yourself that you that you get joy from it I, yeah. I, I say this sometimes I have and I've learned to have these and they're wonderful I call them be kind to Cameron days mm. where I literally just stay in pajamas till I don't know uh, I get outside before the sun goes down mm -hmm. but I kind of pretend I'm sick <laughs> uh, somebody gave me this idea a long time ago. I don't get to do it that often, but mm -hmm. when I do, it's the greatest day. And it's usually when I write songs. Uh, you know, the process of songwriting for me is it's kind of like a crossword. Mm -hmm. You know, you write a couple of lines, you get something, and you go over here, do something, and you come back and you go, ah. And you, you know, you kind of. So for you, one doesn't come before the other. It does. It's. It, it's, it goes a lot of ways. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a line with a, a melody, and you mm -hmm. go, oh, remember that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've unless you put it down you don't remember it right. there's many of those that just go mm. away but uh so a lot of times it's like that sometimes it's literally just spewing on paper you know on pen with pen mm -hmm. um and then you go wait a minute that's that's something mm. um i i now kind of brought uh, songwriting into the the prison thing with mm -hmm. these guys where mm -hmm. i get them i give them a prompt like you know uh what being a man is or something. You can oh, you're going to do this with us. Cameron's oh, yeah, yeah, going to yeah. do this with us at Women Who Write. Oh, I could. Explain. Yeah, tell, 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 tell so, us. So, all right, you, you give a prompt. Let's, let's just say, uh, I think we, we use this one, uh, um, what a man is to me or something. But you give them two minutes to write. Because when you give people two minutes, you know, if you, in other words, you give me all day to write, it'll take me 
45 before right. I even write one word. Right. So give somebody two minutes, just say whatever you write, whatever words come out are the right words. Mm-hmm. So you get them doing that. So then once that's done, um, you have somebody read it. And, uh, and then I, I tell them, you know, anything written, our lyrics just waiting for music to make them a song. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, potentially true. And in mm-hmm. this case it is. So they read it, and I have them read, like I said, you know, land each word as if it were a lyric, as mm-hmm. if it counted. Mm-hmm. And then I have them circle, uh, you know, one, two, three words. You know, a good example is like, can't always get what you want or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. within what they've written. So, and then I ask, I give them a genre. It's like, okay, do you want it to be folk or rock or reggae or hip hop or uh, gospel or mm-hmm. what am I living on? Country, mm-hmm. blues. Uh, and they pick a genre. So then we start to say the phrase as mm-hmm. a group and, and collectively. It gets a rhythm. Organically, it finds a rhythm. Huh. The, the words land a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of chords get added, you know, depending what the genre is. It goes this mm-hmm. way, that way, these chords, that chord. And then uh, I said, now go back and read it again. So he reads, you know, with music under it. And mm-hmm. on his cue, the chorus comes in. And, mm-hmm. and I always tell people, like, you don't have to be a singer to do this mm-hmm. so you don't, people don't get freaked mm-hmm. out. But inevitably, singing starts, comes in, and by the end of it, you've got this song, and by the end of it, the guy's like, shit, you all sang my song. <laughs> you know? so it, That's it, so it, cool. It's a great tool, and it's, it's, uh, it's now kind of you know, been put into the cur- curriculum that we do. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Cameron, yeah. for doing this. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, and... and uh, I, again, I had such a great time yesterday. Well, so. I look forward to having you back to the living room to do to, to actually do your art for Glad us. Glad to be a part of your world. And Glad to be uh, a part of the thank world. Thank you. And um, <laughs> and uh, so, Lindsay Weezy, let's thank Cameron. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Cameron. Thank you. Oh, ladies, oh, really? Go oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lindsay Weezy, the takeaway. So, I I asked you specifically because I haven't been doing my coconut oil because of these fakakta diets, and so my memory is shit. But I seem to recall that with Cameron, I believe what he said was, well, there was fearless. I remember Louise, but there was something that that I stuck on, which was... I remember when you said, Lindsay, write that down. Right, but that's my takeaway. I didn't grab my phone fast enough, I'm sorry. Oh, shit. (laughs) I'm just teasing. No, I do remember. Okay, thank you. Yes, he said that he is fearless on stage, Mm -hmm. but that in his being himself being you know the man walking through the world that's a little bit trickier so he owns the career part of it he owns his his art his craft and there there was a line though that he said with the fearlessness that that was really it for me oh i know what it is that that well it goes with being fearless but it was something about there are no restrictions when he is doing his art i guess that's fearless but but just being willing to do to to no one can touch me there oh and this is what it was it was it was self-assurance it was um that's what it was it was the self-assuredness and having total belief in himself as an artist and that's what allowed for the fearlessness was that he had total belief in himself Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that a lot of artists successful artists and and I don't mean commercially successful but I mean people that really move us are the people that have that true total conviction and that that free that that belief in oneself allows one to try anything that fearlessness but I also like that he um has learned to know himself well enough to know which parts of it he embraces and which parts of it he can't really deal with and so he's sort of 
kind of crafted a life for himself that suits him. I, I think that's mm-hmm. really true. And, and I like the fact that they're still seeking that they're, that th- many of our guests have reached the pinnacle and are fighting to, f- to maintain it or, or find a way back to it where I, I see Cameron as a seeker who is continuing to seek and find his truth. And, and I love the fact that it's based in service yeah. and in compassion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that is for me, the takeaway is the compassion and service, Definitely. um, which I think when we come from that place, we can never make a mistake. We can't err. It makes you happier too. It does. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's love. Mm-hmm. Well, Lindsay, gonna miss you. So we're, we're gonna have to be Yay. syndicated very soon, so we can bring yeah. you back. Bring me back to L.A. All right. So um, have enjoy your graduation. Thank you're, you. You're you're not walking, but you're standing. And, I'll stand and you up will and sit throw down. that goddamn hat. <laughs> and um, and Weezy, thank you so much for another great edition. My of great joy. The Road Taken. And so we will see you uh, with a new show every Tuesday. But we are a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. So mind the archives. And until next time. The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live.